And so we go forward tonight in verse 5. And tonight, as the, as the epistle wraps up with 1 Peter, Peter's going to hit on important themes, or as they say in, in the Olympic circles, core values, in business circles, core values, key, very important things about the, uh, for disciples of Jesus Christ, Christians, and those seeking to follow Christ in a hostile environment while staying on point and being faithful. So he starts off in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, quoting from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So this is the first sort of application, key thought. So starts off with, now we use the term elders for church leaders and pastors last week, and now we get the shift where it's submit, younger people submit yourself to elders. And so the context would tell us just younger people learning from older people. We know in the Old Testament, in the Proverbs, that it says uh, gray hair is a, is a crown of glory for those who walk in righteousness, so those, who, those who have grown in their journey. Um, so we want to get wiser as we get older. When you're young, you have all the strength and all the energy. And then when you're older, you don't have the strength and the energy. But when you're young, you don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom and life experience. But as you get older, you should gain life experience and get wiser. And it's very interesting in the Old Testament, the priest, their window of service was from the age of 30 to 50. The golden years, if you will. Because you had to be 30, so you had to have a certain amount of wisdom and life experience. And 30, you know, that's Jesus' start point for his ministry, earthly ministry, 30s, uh, you know, it's a pretty big birthday, right? It's like, you know you're not in high school anymore when you hit 30 or something. 40, like, whoa, 40, 50, you're just like, whatever. You know, 60, you're just like, bring it on, right? But, but 30s are like this reality check. And I do find it interesting that for, to serve in the priesthood, that 20-year window, 30 to 50, you had to, you had to have some wisdom from age, but you still had to be young and strong. And really, even in some sports, you can still be a pretty, there's really good golfers that make it to 50. Tom Watson almost won the British Open about five years ago when he's like 56 or something. So there's different, but there's this window that, uh, you know, you've, you're, you still have the strength of youth and the flower of youth, if you will, but you're gaining wisdom. And then that kind of changes and there's a new season and, and you have to rely more on your wits than your, than your strength. And that's just the way the journey works. There's just no way around it. And we want to grow and get wiser as we get older. We want to, we want to grow in faith. We want to grow in humility. We want to grow in, in character for sure. We've been talking about that. We want to have a growth mindset that we're just, we're growing and learning. And we want to grow and learn when we're in elementary school. We want to grow and learn when we're going through high school. We want to grow and learn in middle school. We do. We want to grow and learn at every phase of life. But uh, having spent the last few years in hanging out in assisted living home and having spent the, the history of our church is a long history of being involved in reaching out to convalescent care and assisted living facilities, you, you know, and take, having taken care of my grandmother before she passed away many years ago, it, you can just tell there's a lot of people that are old and don't have wisdom, there's a lot of people that are very uh, foolish in their old age because if you don't grow when you're younger and you don't re receive correction and reproof from the Lord, it's less likely you'll get it the older you get. 
And so it is a, a reality that if you go to any assisted living or convalescent care or VA home or whatever, you will find people that have grown in the Lord and you see the light, the, the, the eye is a lamp to the soul and if the eye is good, the whole body is good and you see that life of Christ in them and they're filled with faith and, 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 and joy in, in the midst of an environment that maybe they might even know what year it is, uh, but they have that joy. And then you have other people, they're just bitterness, they're filled with bitterness, they, they cause problems when we try and do our Christmas presentation at the old folks' home, you know, and they're just they're there to sow discord and, and they're miserable and, they, and, and they've been given over to themselves, like Romans 1 says, and they're just imploding on themselves. So exhortation number one is when you become elder, get wiser, huh? Amen? In Jesus' name, no one wants a foolish grandpa or grandma, you know? Be a grandmother with wisdom, yeah? A, 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 a grandmother who has self-control, because a woman who controls her spirit is better than one who takes a city. And so it is for a grandfather and a great-grandfather, the person who controls her spirit. And when I think about having grandkids and the, the responsibility, like uh, I, I, I want to I project maturity, a spiritual maturity. It's not hypocritical, but is truly there to, I see a window. Because I look at people older than me, like 15, 20 years older than me, now, now that their grandkids are in their 20s and getting married and moving away. So like, for example... Um, Mike and Sandy, my son-in-law, Nate's grandparents, you know, they're from Southern California originally. Now they moved to Florida for 20 years to be there with all the grandkids. The grandkids have all grown up. They've gone to college. They've gotten married, and they moved to Atlanta. They've moved here and there, and now they're praying about coming back to Southern California where they're from in the first place. Because, you see, I tend to stay in the moment, and I see the moment right now like it's the moment when the grandkids are little, and, uh, you know, it's like they're not yours to parent, but you're there and you have an impact and influence on them. And then we're going to watch them grow up. It's going to be the AYSO soccer and all these little things are going to happen with being grandparents. But I also watch Mike and Sandy and I realize, hey, 20 years from now, Zippy's 20. Zipporah. And uh, Velzi, the new grandson, is, is 20, right? I mean, it's like, so I can see where it's going. And I, and I want to be the grandfather I'm meant to be at this stage with wisdom and growing. So I can be an elder that I can lead the younger and prepare two generations behind me. Because a righteous man and a righteous woman leaves an inheritance to their children's children, right? And the greatest inheritance you can live is faith in Jesus Christ, that you can leave your, your grandkids, right? I mean, like that's the greatest legacy you can leave. I told you, I got all, all the Bibles from the previous generations of my family. And I just look at them like, this was Annalisa's Bible. She died alone in a VA home. She wrote me letters about Jesus in the early 80s. World War II veteran, nurse, four years, European theater, died alone in a veteran's home in Illinois. So the, the greatest legacy that we can leave our children's children and the next generation and the generation behind them that we're ministering to as the elderly people is wisdom. So to the older people here, I say, keep growing, keep growing. And like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, facetiously, but sincerely, the best retirement plan is no retirement. It's, it's serving the Lord Jesus Christ and looking for opportunities to bring Christ in any and every equation. It, it, it is. It, and, and it's like, that's really the plan, the return of the Lord for his church or for you and, and being about the Father's business and not being in a hurry to get to the next thing because sooner or later there's a lot of things and you're at the end of the journey. So enjoy each element of each chapter. And I believe if you're growing in your 30s, you'll be growing in your 40s. And if you're growing in your 40s, you'll grow in your 50s. And if you're growing in your 50s, you'll grow in your 60s. If you're more the woman you're meant to be when you turn 60 than you were when you were 50, you're growing in the Lord and you're on your right path, right? And that's who you can be when you're 70 or 80. And if you don't know what year it is when you're 88, which is very probable, then it'd be full of the Holy Spirit in whatever year you're living in. And I mean that sincerely. Be spirit-filled in that 
whatever's there cognitively with your memory, be spirit-filled. Because you know at the end you can't hide what's in. Out of the abundance of heart do you speak? And what you find with older people is they can't refrain what they're speaking. So when Pastor Chuck was having bad days down the stretch when he was dying of lung cancer uh, and the hard drives maybe hitting glitches, right, which it did, and you, if you were there, you remember, like, Chuck would have these moments. And, but the only thing coming out was Scripture. Garbage in, garbage out, but good filter, good things. He'd get lost. He'd just get lost between Noah or Moses. That's not a bad way of getting lost, by the way. <laughs> if that's your worst day with, you know, memory loss, was it Moses or Noah? It's like, yeah, that's a good day in the convalescent care. Okay, that's a good day. So, and you look at Raul Reese, and he has these seizures now, and, you know, Raul's starting to get up there, and he had, I heard him have one on the radio a couple of years ago, and I pulled over and prayed for him. It was live, and he's having this seizure, and yet, you know, he came through it, and it's like, and he had just all these different things that was, didn't make sense, and he got right back to it and said, you better be ready, Jesus is coming back. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, so you have the hiccup moment, and like, and you come back, and Jesus is coming back. And the younger people, like Broderick, and even the younger kids here, like, he's a young adult, young dad, and Danny going off to college in two days uh, to Boise, like we want to be role models and leaders to them in the church, no matter what we're doing. We want to, we want to be people that when we speak, elderly people, whether we're in our thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, we want to speak life into people. We want to speak life into them. Yeah. We want to speak the life of the gospel. When, when we're gone and our kids and our grandkids, they'll laugh about the things that they make fun of us for because there's no shortage of things they can make fun of us for. But they'll, yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm the primary target for everything funny in my family, by the way. And there's no shortage of ammunition to, by which to pull from or material <laughs> for stand-up comedy at the expense of dad. But, you know, it's, it's all good because uh, that legacy of all those Bible studies, that legacy of the things that mattered and speaking life and words of truth is good. Because like I said, when, you know, for whatever reason, when people leave the planet that you love, there are certain moments where you really realize they're gone, and you, people can understand this. Like, you, you deal with it, and then sometimes it just really hits you like a big wave, like, that person is gone, and they are not coming back. I've got to tell you, with Chuck, with Pastor Chuck, that hits me more often than not, and it really hits me like how impactful Pastor Chuck was on my entire life. And, and what the Lord always comes back to me when I think that is that his example is still there for me. So it's, it's not so much that I can't go to 3800 South Fairview Avenue at Calvary Costa Mesa and go see Pastor Chuck and ask him what he thinks about something. Because kind of, you know, what do people do when they used to talk to Chuck? They, wanted, they would want to get his wisdom, right? Chuck was very wise. And, but Chuck directed everybody toward the Lord. And in his elderly wisdom and all that he did, it, it reflected Christ. So it's, you know, all these Calvary pastors that are all over the place, thousands of them, and all these Calvary chapels with different names and identities, whatever. The, the legacy is the faith and the obedience and the fruit. And so when I think about, like, Lord, it'd just be so good if Chuck was around right now. I'd like to think what he thinks. I'd like to hear what he thinks about this situation in our society or on the planet right now. 
And Chuck would be in his 90s. He's not meant to be here. And that's what the Lord always comes back to. He prepared you for you to be here at this time. So when we think about the younger people submitting to the elders, it's, it's to our benefit, whether younger is 57, learning from someone in their 80s, or 24, learning from someone that's 44, or whatever it might be, but it's to respect the age that's above you. Because even people that train wrecked our lives have a lesson they can give you from their lives. How many people's testimonies like, just don't do what I did? Hey, if you can learn from that, good for you, you know? If you can learn from a negative, some, that's better for you, right? It's a good thing. So this is church life. This was a ch- the church was about to go through radical persecution at this time by the Roman Empire across the board. And, and the Holy Spirit is saying through Peter, that leader who would give his life for the Lord within a few years, like, look, Paul's going to be gone. Peter's going to be gone. And it's going to be guys like Polycarp and these guys holding the line. John's going to be exiled. There's big change coming. But it's really important that the younger people respect the order that God has in society and can grow and learn from the older people, especially those whose uh, walks and faith and examples are commendable that you can really learn from. That's what we want to do. We want to grow and learn. Uh, It's funny because I, I... I look at all those Calvary pastors that were under Pastor Chuck, like Don McClure and John Corson and Brian Broderson, and they're all getting older, right? They're all clipping 60, and, and some have clipped 70, like Mike McIntosh and these guys. And I, and I just, I like to, when they're talking, I like to listen. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I like, well, I like to listen. I like to listen. And these people, these women, you know, why do you think I read all the Elizabeth Elliot books? And it's like, I like, she's long gone with the Lord, you know? It's like, I like to you know, like a woman who buried her husband in the Ecuadorian jungles in the 50s, I want to listen to what she has to say. She's got something to say, man. I want to learn from it. So it's not just people we know that we can learn from that are over us, but it's a legacy of those who had wisdom to speak. Yeah. And the thing about older people, young people, whatever young is defined by tonight, is they're not in a hurry. So you got to slow down to hear what they want, what you're going to receive. Does that make sense? You can't be in a hurry with old people. Taking care of my dad, you just realize you can't be in a hurry when you go to Vaughn's with Pop at 88. And you don't need to apologize for it. And it's interesting because suddenly you notice everyone else that's got their parents out there somewhere at a grocery store or whatever, and you realize, like, and they're like, oh, sorry. Like, no, everything's good. It's all good. Take your time. You younger people submit to leadership. You submit to the older people. Submit, you grow and you learn. And that's a teachable spirit. And God will honor it. He'll honor it in the church and he'll honor it in the workplace. He'll just honor it. Um, And even if, like, so for older people, we want to gain the wisdom as we're going forward so we have something to give people. But you younger people, look and learn. And even if it seems like there's nothing there, look for something there. John Corson once told me, you can find fruit on any tree if you look hard enough. (laughs) Took the train to Oregon, went to lunch with John Corson. I brought up something, and he said, he goes, you know, Joey, if you look hard enough, you can find fruit on a tree. 30 years later, I still remember him saying that. And for the parents with younger kids, teaching your parents to respect authority, to honor authority, is the best thing you can do. Because we live in a society that there's very degraded, uh, it's degraded. And that's the problem. And we want our children to be part of the solution, right? We all have a bad teacher 
We all have a bad coach. We all have a negative experience with different things. There's good judges and bad judges, right? I mean, it's just the way it works. So we trust that the ultimate authority over our life, and we teach our younger people to understand this, the ultimate authority over their life is not their guidance counselor at OCC, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's over OCC. Follow me? Intende? Yeah, it's true. So it's a really good thing here to learn from older people and to be the kind of older people that people, younger people, can learn from. What kills and destroys churches is when the younger generation isn't able to just doesn't understand the value of the older people and the older people just say whatever with the next generation and we need that balance of respect with older people to look at the younger generation and see a future and a hope and then we need the younger generation to look at the older generation and say you know what there's something I can learn from this life and, and I need to value this life and, and, and be a blessing now we read on so this whole idea of that submission to the leadership, to those that are older, and then to be, for everyone to be submissive to one another, right? So again, we want to learn from one another in the church, and we're to be clothed with humility. So of course, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility, that brokenness, David said in Psalm 51, the offerings of the Lord are, are broken and contrite spirit. So humility is always in, it's an equity in our heart and in our life that God's always going to honor. Now he says in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted in due time. Well, the interesting thing is when you're young and you humble yourself, you generally do want to be exalted. So like when you're dealing with an injustice, you're like, well, okay, so the coach benched me here, but hopefully I can be the star of this game in the playoffs. Like you usually, when you're young, you want your chance and you, you know, but I got to tell you, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for everyone that's over whatever age we'd be over tonight, but you know, the older I get, the less I'm worried about ever even being exalted. I'm not worried about being exalted. Uh, in fact, I'm just trying to, as Brian Broderson said at Calvary, stay in my lane. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to stay in my lane and drive the speed limit and get from point A to point B on this road trip that we call life, okay? Uh, but, like, there is a promise, though, that if you humble yourself before the Lord, he'll exalt you when and how he chooses to exalt you. You look at Joseph in the Old Testament, lied against, did all the right things. He's in prison for two years, and he didn't curse anyone. He wasn't vindictive or bitter or envious. He just simply was faithful in the moment what God called him to do. And then one day he was flipped and he went to the palace and he's the number two man in the entire uh, kingdom. And I always say, can you imagine the look that, that Potiphar's wife had when she saw Joseph with the signet ring of Pharaoh? Like you and me, we might have gone like, right, with the signet ring, you know, like, but he, you know, there's no reason to believe he did that. He forgave her he couldn't have been exalted two years later if he didn't forgive her when it all happened, right? Bitterness will kill you. Isn't it hard to watch people with bitterness uh, destroy their marriages and destroy their lives, destroy their souls, destroy their families and their kids? Oh, bitterness and malice will destroy a person. Unforgiveness. It is hard to forgive, but it's even harder not to. So we give it to the Lord. If he wants to exalt us in time, good for him. If he doesn't, good for you. He'll, he'll set it straight in eternity. All the injustices he said straight in eternity. We got to keep that in mind. So maybe he'll straight it out. I mean, I already just said that there's a crown of glory coming. It doesn't fade away. So maybe he'll straighten it out and make those injustices right in time. Maybe he won't, but I guarantee in eternity he will. 
He's got us. So we just commit ourselves to the Lord. And so it says in verse 7, we cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. We give it to the Lord. Whatever injustice is that we have to humble ourselves underneath at work, in family, in the home, in society, we just give it to the Lord. God's going to take care of it. The psalmist says that he catches the wise in their own craftiness. He's going to take care of it. We give it to the Lord. When Shimei came out to curse David around 1000 BC, when David was fleeing Jerusalem because Absalom, his son, led the rebellion against him and David's leaving the city so the city doesn't fall under bloodshed. And Shimei, the descendant of Saul, who was, of course, David's adversary, his ex-father-in-law, Shimei comes out and he's cursing David. And Abishai and Joab are like, we'll cut this guy's tongue out. I mean, they're men of war. They're men of blood. They're ruthless. And they're like, well, cut this guy. And, and David's like, no, 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 just let it be. Just let it be. Guys, stop already. Just let it go. Can't you tell God's allowed this? I don't need you to vindicate me or avenge me with this guy. All the wrong I've ever done before the Lord, this is just whatever. God's allowed this. And how much more does a, a son of, 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 the, of Saul and the tribe of Benjamin have a right to come out and curse me? It's all good. I love the maturity of David in that. And since David is a standard for every king that comes after him, you just have to respect that. So we let God exalt us in due time. Like if, if there's an unjust cursing, there's an unjust cursing. If there's, we all have malicious things said about us. We all have people that come against us. And um, some of those things you might have to confront and deal with to set the record straight. But a lot of them you don't have to. You just, you just got to stay on point. They're, they're, they're distractions. There's times Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there's times he just walked away, right? You know, it's like we need wisdom to know that. That's why Solomon said, answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. you like, do you ever do that? Like, I actually do that. Like, I, I, it's, it's like when I'm doing something, I'm like, this person strikes me as being a fool. I don't say that out loud, but I'm thinking like, and I'm like, am I a fool? I don't want to be a fool, but this definitely is foolish behavior right now. So... On the countdown, five, four, three, two, do I need to say something or just let it go? I lean toward let it go because you can always go back and clean it up. But if you say something and you're not spirit-filled, that's a harder cleanup. That's generally how I work. And, yeah. But if I turn around, the Lord's like, no, 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 you got to deal with this. Like, okay, here we go. Right? It's life. God will exalt you. God will set it straight. We cast our cares upon him. Every injustice, we're told to cast our cares upon him. He's got our back. Therefore, God resists the proud. So anyone that's proud and exalting themselves and giving you a beat down in your life, God will deal with it. You take the high road of humility and let, let God deal with the people who lord over people and have to be the boss or whatever. Just humble yourselves. The application, it's a fact. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, we don't want to be prideful, and we want more grace, right, in our own life. But the gracious, he'll show himself gracious. With the merciful, he'll show himself merciful. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yeah, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because this is the final hand. He's the final authority, and he'll exalt you in due season, whatever and how that looks like, time or eternity. And we're to cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. There's no injustice that ever happens in our life that he does not care about. It's not like, Lord, somehow I think you don't know what I'm going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. And women of character and men of character are refined by injustices. That's what produces maturity and the heart of God in our lives. If we only got upset with 
being justly wronged, that would be justly wronged. Remember, like, Peter already said that. He's like, hey, if you got trouble for an evildoer, tough luck. You're an evildoer. There's no honor in that. But if you have a beatdown for doing good, then blessed are you. There's a blessing in that. That's how you become a woman of God. That's how you become a man of God. Is if you got a beatdown for being a fool, if you can learn from it, good for you. That's growth. But if you got a beatdown for righteousness sake, there's the blessing. And that's how you take on more the character of Christ as you go forward in your life for whatever God has for you. He can trust you with more because he knows you can handle difficult things with his character and the spirit of Christ in an honorable way. Think about all the great men and women in the Bible, the injustices that they faced and how they handled them and how it prepared them for the good things. You even just look at Esther, like, where are her parents? They're dead. Her uncle raised her in a foreign land where people are trying to remove her character and her culture from her. But she was a woman of fiber and character. And her faith was as strong as Daniel and Meshach and Abednego a generation later. Because again, what does she say? If I live, I live. If I die, I die. But this is why I'm on this planet for this day and this moment. Right? How many women would really go that route? I mean, how many women will risk their life for themselves and for their people? Where do you find character like that for a girl that had no parents and was raised by an uncle? An uncle who a bad guy is building a hangman's noose for. But see, that's, that's where the character is found is in the injustices. That's where depth happens when we let things go and we cast them before the Lord and we cast our cares to him and we let him just deal with it. And again, we don't let him deal with it so he can fix it next week. If he fixes it next week, like I said, good for you. Good for him. Just know whatever's not fixed in time, space, and matter, it is fixed in eternity. And we can trust that right to the end. Bitterness and malice, nothing but death and destruction. Now he says in verse 8, so we cast our cares upon the Lord. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Of course, we all know we're in a spiritual battle. When we live for Jesus, we have resistance against us. We wonder, like, why am I feeling so oppressed? Why, you know, why is this dark cloud over me? Because the devil hates you. He knows where you live. He knows the people you love. But God is our protector. God is our provider. God is our sufficiency. But it's a great reality. I don't like devil verses. I don't like Satan verses. I don't like adversary verses. I don't like them. I pretty much know where all of them are in the New Testament off the top of my head. I don't like them. They're kind of like places you want to avoid, right? Like certain parts of any city, like, oh, don't get off on that exit. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like, it's hard to put a positive spin on the devil, a fallen angel who's more powerful than anything any of us know. Totally an alien. He really is the alien of every alien movie there ever was. He's from a different dimension. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the destroyer. It's his name. He wants to destroy every good thing God's ever done from the birth of this universe and the dawn of creation to this very day. 
He wants to destroy everything that God's doing in the work of redemption through the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He not only opposes it, he wants to destroy it. Listening to Hector teach on the radio last night live, he pointed out something very interesting about uh, the, a mute where he said that it says that this person doesn't speak because of the devil. And we, we often just think like, oh, that's bad luck that this person can't speak or that's, you know, just random this went this way. We often underestimate the spiritual force of power by the devil that limits people, their ability to think rationally, that limits people to the destruction of their lives. We're like, how, how do people have common sense in so many things but totally check their brains out when it comes to the Lord? It's amazing to me how irrational, rational people can become, especially with Greg, because you know, I was listening to Harvest today as well, Greg Laurie and Harvest Crusades this week, and, and it's just amazing how rational people become totally irrational when they hear the gospel. And, and just, it, it makes no sense. How people can apply the science of logic and reason, true science, to certain things, but then when it has anything to do with God, they suddenly become unscientific and illogical in their thought processes, and they completely check out with just common sense. It's amazing to me. But there's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle for our soul. There's a spiritual battle for other people's souls. There's a spiritual battle for the coin on our life. There's a spiritual battle to repress and stop and hinder the work of the ministry God wants to do in our life. So if you want to make yourself available to be a deacon, there's a spiritual battle against that. There's a spiritual battle against your wife. There's a spiritual battle against your purity as a single man. There's a, there's a, when you're going forward in the Lord, whatever it is you're doing, young or old, there's, there's a battle against that. Every day is a road, road game in sports. It's all a road game. It's always on the road. You go to college and it's a spiritual battle. You go to work and it's a spiritual battle. And you, you just have to strengthen yourself in the Lord and be wise. Now, he said to be sober and alert, vigilant, to be sober and alert. And so if we have a strong time with the Lord in the morning, and we've had good prayer and maybe some time in his word, we do tend to be sharper. You're like, hmm, this is a really strange turn of events. Let's just step back and and you can see the spiritual battle and you pray immediately. Lord, give me the right words in this. This is very random. And you think, this person's coming against me. It's like, but why is this person coming against you? Well, very good, because the devil is just prodding them to stir you up and stumble you? Or why does this, you know, we say like, why does it always happen to us? Because the devil's just trying to frustrate the work of God in our lives on a daily basis. It's a reality. It's the supernatural behind time, space, and matter of the spiritual realm affecting time, space, and matter. And it's been well said that every earthly war is a carryover of the spiritual war. That's been going on since Satan was cast out of of heaven. So we just can't get around this. And so we are the the exhortation, the core value is to be alert, to to be discerning, to be aware of the spiritual battle around our lives. If we knew there was a roaring lion, like a cougar or mountain lion patrolling our neighborhood, man, we'd be on the alert. If we had a, a cabin in Arrowhead or something, they said, there's a, there's a mountain lion roaming these streets or, you know, or whatever, we, we would be on the alert. You wouldn't just like, hey, let's go on a walk through the backwoods. No, you'd be on alert. You would. That would be common sense. And, and Peter uses, the Holy Spirit uses the analogy of the lion to tell us to be alert. 
He's roaring. He's prowling. Lions, you know, they, they scout their prey. They, they plot it and they go after them. And that's what the devil's like. He's looking for people to pick off and to destroy. And um, we're told to resist him. We're told to resist him. In reading a book about elite athletes and how people, uh, other athletes try to provoke them and get under their skin, they were talking about Kobe Bryant, how back in the day, like, he wouldn't let people get under his skin. And they talked about all the people that tried to provoke him. And there was a, a press conference where they said, the guy was doing this with the ball on your face and all this stuff, and you, you never responded. You know what he said? Why should I? That's a really good response. Kobe was focused on the task at hand, basketball. We need to be focused on the will of the Lord for our life and resist the temptation to get off target and to get off plan and to get out of our lane, to quote Brian Broderson, and to just train wreck things. We need to stay on target. We need to recognize, like, self-control. Just stay calm here. Lord, I'm submitting to you. And we need to call upon the Lord. In fact, the book of James, he says the same thing. James basically says the same thing. He said... um, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He quotes the same passage of Proverbs that we just read here in this text before this. And he says, submit to God and the devil will flee. In James's epistle, Peter's just saying like, hey, resist him. and He's got to go. Some things the devil throws at us are easy to resist. It's like, but other things are harder. We just have to stay on point and stay focused and not, not get pulled. And we don't want to live by fear. We don't want to live in um, uh, sort of an expectation of what could go wrong. We want to live in an anticipation of what can go right. We don't want to live in this expectation of what can go wrong with fear if the devil does this or if I fall this way or I make a fool of myself. We want to live in the anticipation of faith of what can go right when we trust in the Lord and we make good decisions. When Potiphar's wife comes after Joseph in, in his youth, it's not the expectation of fear that she kept coming after him, coming after him, and he knew she was coming after him. It wouldn't have been the, expect, you know, the expectation of, of fear, like, oh, I'm going to fall and there's going to be Potiphar. No, it was the anticipation of faith and a chance to show himself faithful and to flee youthful lust. And it was that obedience that set in motion all the good things that would save the entire nation of Israel a generation later when he's in the palace. It's not the expectation of fear that should move us. It's the anticipation of faith in God's promises. Faith and fear are so opposed to each other, they cannot coexist. And God wants us to have faith that he's on the throne and he's got our back. So we don't live in fear. We, you know, because sometimes you think like, oh, man, next week I'm going to be in this situation where all these people are going to be there and I'm going to be tempted to do this or do that, whatever. No, just forget that. What if you die on Wednesday? Why are you worry about Friday? For real. Hey, let's just be faithful on Tuesday. And we'll wake up tomorrow and let's try and be faithful on Wednesday. Let's not get all psyched out over Friday. The farther out you get, the less likely you'll see it. That's why when I'm given multiple dates to do something, I always take the earlier date because it's more, like, more likely I'll live to see that date than the later date. 
It's true. It's silly. But I just like, hey, you know, better chance, you know, like farther out you extend your lifeline, <laughs> the less, what do you, yeah. Seriously, t- the Bible's very clear about saying tomorrow's guaranteed to no one. Jesus said, you got enough to deal with today. So it's not the anticipation of fear or expectation of fear. It's the anticipation of faith and what God can do. Not crippling fear of like our past failures and our potential future failures. It's, it's God's faithfulness. Stay on point and just resist them. And know that everyone else is going through it too. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace who called us in his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Salvanius, our faithful brothers, I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all and all who are in Christ Jesus. So I like amen. And I like how he started out with to the pilgrims of the dispersion, the elect. And then he ends the, the book with the kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. And that's peace with God. Having therefore been justified by faith, but peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so that that the younger s- submit to the the elders and humility for all, and casting our cares before the Lord, being alert, vigilant for the battle, resisting the devil, and having faith for the victory that God wants to do, not fear from the failures of our past, but He talks about in verse ten that after you've suffered a while. Perfect, that is complete, mature, established, strengthen, and settle you. Life is unsettling, but the work of character in our lives by the Holy Spirit is, is a good work. It's a good work that God's doing, and we need to let him do it, and we need to embrace that work that he's doing. That suffering, and one more time, Peter uses this by the Holy Spirit, when you suffered a while. It's not indefinite. It's to create maturity to establish us in the character of Christ, to strengthen our convictions in truth and in the person and the work of Jesus and to settle us. Or as Paul said when he said to the Ephesian elders, nor do I count my life dear to me, uh, nor do these things move me to not be moved. See, if if we let the sufferings and trials and testings that we go through for faith in Jesus Christ, and we endure in the spiritual battle, and we persevere through heartaches and disappointments and injustices, and we give those to the Lord, and we cast our cares upon him, as he says, we're going to get stronger and stronger, and we're going to get more resolved than ever before in our faith. You know, it's like when you study, like, believers around the world that go through major persecution, where their houses are burned down, they're disfigured, you know, like, mobs expel them from their villages in India. The thing that you find in in those circumstances, so often, like a Richard Wormbrandt back in the day in the Eastern Europe and stuff, is they're not moved. Like the more that you come against them, the more, the more they're just strengthened in their conviction and character, their faith in Jesus. Like you look at believers in Iraq and Iran and Syria and these places, and they've endured great atrocities and they're not moved. Like guys like Victor Marx that we know, they go minister, him and Eileen, his wife, they go to the Middle East and they, you know, they minister all these girls and, and 
that have been abducted by ice and all that stuff. And like, they just see such strong faith and courage in these people that it's their, their resolve is stronger than ever before. You get Voice of the Martyrs magazine every month and you read how the perseverance of these people, whether it's uh, the Hong people in Vietnam or whatever. It's like, you just see they're so strengthened. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of guys that have been in jail for years. And the most recent issue, I'm going like, man, how would I handle that? Well, I haven't been called to handle it, so praise the Lord for that. But if I was, like, but they're just, they're not moved. That's what these things that come against us should do. They should strengthen our resolve to not be moved. And be like Esther and say, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. But this is why I'm here. And this is just a test. This whole journey is just a test to glorify Christ and prove faithfulness and trust in Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and complete the journey. It's, it's, it's not the playbook of life as a disciple of Christ. It's not complicated. It's just about execution. It's about faith and obedience, submission, and trust. So we can never forget that the Lord wants these things to work together for good to strengthen, establish, and settle us to be who we're really meant to be for all eternity. Time is good. Eternity is unchanging. So the character of time, of obedience, is for all eternity. And then the Lord gets the glory, the faithful brother Savinius, the true grace, not cheap grace, true grace, the blood of Christ, she who is in Babylon, verse 13, many people think that could be a reference to the believers uh, in Rome. It's a mystery verse, mystery phrase, no one really knows. But Mark, my son, is John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And then the peace. All those people with all that fame, all the people with all the fame and all the power, they go nuts, most of them. People that live a simple life, aspire to live a quiet, peaceful life, they do really well with Jesus Christ in their journey, and they bear fruit for all time and eternity. So God is good. And whatever you might go through, whatever we might go through, we want to always just keep our eyes on the Lord and trust in the Lord. That's the lesson of this book, that a genuine faith which is proven to the praise and honor and glory at his coming, that's what God's looking for, a genuine faith that never loses heart, never loses hope because we're looking unto Jesus as the object of our faith. And we're not being moved from things that test our faith, but we're being established and strengthened and fortified in our faith through those things that seem to be against us. Whether the devil himself is at the front door or it's just a bad day with his minions, we are called to be women and men of faith who persevere in all things to the glory and honor and praise at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. Thank you for this journey in this book.